Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Golden Guest Talk Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. This has probably weirded you out already, the fact that it's me, Alistair Gold, doing this intro and not Rob Guest, who normally starts off the show. But Guesty, I mean, I could just say that he's so overexcited about what happened with Richarlison at the weekend and the incredible impact he made that he just needed two weeks off or so to recover. But that's not the case. It was already a pre-scheduled holiday. So uh, stepping into the breach is Lee Wilmot, the boss of Football.London and big Spurs fan, as those on YouTube will be able to see in the background with various Spurs shirts hanging off the wall behind him. How are you doing, Lee? I'm very well, thank you. Very well, yes. Um, and yeah, I can semi-adequately step in for um, for Guesty in um, in enjoying um, Richarlison's work. Um, I'm a big fan of his and um, I think he's got... Um, Guesty. Oh, both, yes. Very much a big fan of Guesty. Um, hope you're listening in, Guesty. Um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of Richarlison. Um, so um, I'll, I'll try my best to... I won't put on a Northern accent, but I'll try my best to um, to step in where, where Guesty would have... Um, would have got involved in the Richarlison loving. Yeah, I guess he doesn't like it when I do a northern accent for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> Probably because it's so awful. Yeah, and I, I get the feeling mine would be, if not worse, then just as bad. Yeah, as southerners are not too great at that. Um, so, massive weekend. Huge game. Um, well, huge, certainly a huge drama towards the end of it as well. Obviously, Guesty and I were kind of there, slap bang in the middle of it all, watching the absolute bedlam kind of going on around us. You had to watch it, or sorry, not watch it, but you had to kind of follow it in a slightly different way. What was it like from your perspective? Because 3pm 3, um, 3 game as well, which is obviously very difficult to follow nowadays. Well, yeah, 3pm blackout. Um, I absolutely did not um, do any illegal streaming of the game. I was actually out with my youngest son um, watching local football. Um, Southern Combination Premier Division, um, Hassocks against Old Vandinians, it was. There um, you go. You don't get much more local than that. No, exactly. A 5-0 win for the hosts, if anyone's interested. Um, so, yeah, that was that was good. But I was kind of, um, I, I was stood on, on the sidelines with a beer um, and with my phone in hand while I was trying to watch and trying to see what... You you and Guesty were talking about on the football.london live blog, obviously. Um, Spurs nice is, plug, nice plug, yes, love it. Yeah. On brand. <laughs> um, Spurs, <laughs> if not my biggest passion, then one of the um, my, my biggest passions, obviously, and one of the reasons why um, I got into this journalism game because I wasn't very good at playing football, so I decided that I could write, so um, I would get into writing about football instead. Um, but yeah, following it on on a phone and and not knowing what's going on, not being able to be there, not being able to see what's happening, um, it really did feel like one of those games from years gone by. Of um, you'd absolutely dominate a team, um, and you'd come up against a goalkeeper like Ben Foster or a Tim Krull. They're the two that stick in my mind, as always having worldies um, against Spurs and and the opposition team coming and, and managing to to grab a one nil win. Um, so when Sheffield United scored in what was it seventy third minute um, yeah. to, to to go one nil up, having s- 
apparently seen looking at the stats and looking at the um, the blog, obviously, that Spurs had completely dominated without scoring. It just felt like we were going a little bit back to the future. Um, and this kind of the, the the real positivity around Ange and what he's brought to the club and the excellent start to the season we've had. And and don't get me wrong, it, it has, it, I think it would still have been an excellent start to the season if we hadn't got a result on Saturday, um, just purely because of the positivity around the place. It just felt like it might have been a little bit of a, a backward step and, and going back to, oh, this is, this is what Tottenham are like. Um, can't close out a game against some of these um, so-called lesser opposition teams. Um, but yeah, to, to get two goals in, what, three minutes in the, uh, 98th and 100th minute of football. Um, I, I can't imagine what it was like in the stadium um, on Saturday afternoon. I've, I've, I've obviously seen the highlights and everything, and it's it sounded incredible. Um, what, what was that like being being in there for? It was amazing. It was. It was one of those moments when people often ask, especially me, because they know Guesty is, is a big Everton fan rather than a Spurs fan. Whereas obviously I was, I had no choice. My my father and the family before him. Uh, made it very clear I was always going to be born a Spurs fan. And I often ask people, like, how? what do you do? Do you cheer? Do you go mad in those moments? And certainly we have seen reporters of other teams go absolutely crazy in big moments. I just, for some unknown reason, can't do that. I don't know. It's just like maybe I've got you kind of in the back of my mind and thinking I've got to do this for Lee. I've got to, <laughs> got to get my match stuff out. Um, no, to be fair, what it is is... It, it stretches all the way back to my first ever game covering Spurs, which was, funny enough, Goodison Park against Everton. Um, it was a 1-1. Eric Lamella scored after, I think he equalised a Ross Barkley goal. Um, and on that day, I was so desperate to prove to myself that I could be ultra-professional and not like cheer and jump up and down and do anything kind of fan-like that I think I pushed myself in the other extreme. And what I think I do... Um, because I, I often kind of hear myself doing it. There's this moment where I'll often go like, oh, like that. And I make this really weird noise that's kind of half a cheer, half a, oh, that's exciting. And now I'm going to have to rewrite everything I've just written kind of thing. Um, and that's about as far as I go. And also our job, kind of what we try to do a bit different, don't we, at Football London is to kind of notice all these little bits and pieces that are happening. And, and so in the aftermath of something like that, we're trying to see, oh, what's happening? Oh, what's Son? Where's Son running over there? Oh, look, there's there's the subs going mad over there as well. And we're kind of doing that. We we probably don't go as absolutely mad as we would do if we were up in the uh, stands. Although someone's <laughs> someone's dug out a photo of the carnage in the South and the celebrations after Kulusevski scores that goal. And you're and in there. there. Is, well, there's someone at a distance that I can understand why people are saying, oh, Gold's in the in the south stand because it does. You can see the, the beard and the hair and all that. And it does look. I don't know who it is, um, but yeah, there is someone. But there's also they've done that with Kulusevski. There's someone that said he's gone back in time to watch his own winning goal. Um, <laughs> there is someone that does have the look of Kulusevski, right? And you can see him through the goal net. They're that close as well. That would be an amazing movie, wouldn't it? It would. <laughs> goes back in time. Shall I tell um, you a little story? Um, actually, yeah, so go for it. When um, when I was younger, um, it would it wasn't wasn't that much younger because I was in a pub watching a Spurs game. Um, so I, I was allowed to <laughs> be there. I was, I was drinking, so it's not <laughs> it's not that long ago. I think it was again. It might have been against Aston Villa. Um, I was I was stood in the pub watching, um, and Spurs had just scored, and the camera panned obviously to to the crowd. Uh, and there was someone in the crowd that looked very much like me, uh, so much like me um, that I got a notification on my phone. Get my phone out, and my um, my cousin um, had 
messaged me saying, I hope you're enjoying the game. Um, nice goal there. And I'm like, that's not me. So even a member <laughs> of my own family um, thought I was at the game um, cheering the Spurs on. Can you imagine if there's all these football doppelgangers out there that yeah. actually just are other versions of ourselves? Uh, oh, that, that would definitely, that would be a good film. Well, it wouldn't. It'd be quite rubbish. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, an, it's an interesting idea. But yeah, the actual moment itself was crazy. It was just, obviously, you had the players, as soon as the ball hit the back of the net, you had so many things going on at once. You had Kulisevsky ran off in one direction to celebrate. Richarlison went off in another direction to celebrate because he was on more on the left-hand side, obviously. Then you had people piling off of the bench as well. You had Sonny sprinted across to kind of go over to Richarlison. You had um, Vicario ran the length of the pitch and then had this weird moment where Basuma fell to the floor and Vicario had to kind of leap over him and the celebrating Son and Richarlison and then kind of pump his fists at the crowd. You had Pedro Porro ran on the pitch as well. You had Mickey van der Ven went over to him, picked him up like he was the lightest feather anyone's ever kind of held in their hand. Um, it was, if you want to see someone be a young Dutch giant, that was essentially Mickey van der Ven showing you just kind of how strong he is as well. Porro just flew up in the air. Um, and then he turned and roared at the crowd as well. You had the whole um, people that weren't even involved. You had uh, Valise and Brian Hill smashing like a horde in back and forth with their hands. You had Bentenker holding a, a like a drink of that Marte stuff, um, trying to celebrate while not trying to spill it. It was very South American. <laughs> and you had Lacelso next to him also going mad. You had Ashley Phillips bellowing. The whole coaching staff poured off the bench as well. Chris Davies, the assistant manager, um, kind of grabbed... Postacoglu at one point, and Postacoglu did one of those little pats on the shoulder as if to say, yeah, okay, mate, I don't do that. <laughs> That's great, though. He is so calm. And he does it throughout the game. There were so many times during the game you see the coaching staff having a moan about stuff, and Postacoglu's just standing there looking at him like, don't worry about it, kind of thing. And I think, I didn't notice this, that people were telling me, apparently when people like Madison or other players were going down to the ground, he was telling them to get up. He does not like, he just wants to see football. It's so cool. It's such a cool way of seeing the game. We're used to, how do we put this? Um, Antics. Passionate managers on the touchline. Should we call them passionate? Um, some might say extrovert. Some might say performing. Um, and you've just got Big Ange. I think one of his quotes to, I think it might have been Radio London maybe. Uh, he said after the game, it's just like watching a movie. I just want to sit and watch it or stand and watch it. That's it. I don't want to kind of, I w if I watched a great scene in a movie, I wouldn't jump up and run around the room celebrating kind of thing. And it's just like, it's such a different way of looking at it. And I love it. Um, but yeah, honestly, it was chaos. And I haven't even mentioned the fans. The fans were amazing. Um, and it's interesting, kind of what you were saying as well about the, the idea that uh, it would have been a step back. And that's true because it would have been very, cliched Tottenham of the past, having shots galore and then conceding a goal late on. But actually, in the stadium, the fans stayed with them. And that is a massive pointer towards what Postacoglu is doing. The fans didn't get frustrated. There wasn't kind of booing or jeering or a sense of kind of worry or anxiety about it. They just kept pushing them on. And it helped that Madison and people like that kept going up to them and doing that with their hands, raising them in the air to tell them to keep going. And then, yeah, you end up with that amazing moment. It all paid off for them in the end. And, uh, yeah, brilliant. Brilliant for Kulusevsky, who needed it, and brilliant for Richarlison. Um, 
what did you what you seen of the highlights? What did you make of Richardson's impact? What it's just it's just incredible, isn't it? For, for someone that's supposedly devoid of confidence um, and has had such a difficult week, he's obviously been pictured in tears um, on the Brazil bench, um, not quite working out for him. He's only scored one Premier League goal since joining the club for £60 million. And there's even an Arsenal fan in our office who still claims that he, uh, he shouldn't shouldn't have been awarded that goal against Liverpool. Um, it's, it's, you, you just, you struggle to work out where he's found that from, don't you? Sometimes you, you, you don't quite know how footballers can, can kind of find these, these moments from the depths of themselves, essentially to, to put in that kind of performance, particularly when he wants, he wants to start the game. Obviously Harry Kane mm-hmm. left in the summer. He thinks, Oh, here's my, here's my opportunity to be the number, num- number one, number nine, as it were. Um, and he's, he's kind of been put on the bench one game and seen Sonny score a hat trick <laughs> when he's played through the middle and he's probably thinking, Absolutely my God, what happens now? What do I do now? Um, so yeah, it's, I, I've, I've seen little moments from him. I was, I was with Guesty obviously at the Bournemouth game um, a few weeks back when, when you were in Italy. Um, and I thought Richarlison was, was a, a little bit. Trip. Yes, a scouting, was on a scouting trip. trip. Yeah. Not, not holiday. <laughs> Who were you scouting? Um, that would have <laughs> been anyone at Torino. <laughs> um, Who was I, a Torino I, defender, wasn't there? Who was a, uh, it was Torino. Pe- Pe- Shures, wasn't it? Sure, that's it. Yeah, we'll say it was him. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, there, there were moments in that Bournemouth game where there was just some nice little touches from Richarlison. He wasn't doing the the centre forward play that he had that big chance. He, he had a little bit of skill where he took round the goalkeeper as well, and the defender came and, and stopped him from scoring. Obviously, there, there were little moments, and I've seen that a lot in, in a lot of games. There, there are just. And they are. It's, it's unfortunate they are only moments, um, and he, he needs a bit more than that. And, and hopefully now, that was two very big moments um, on on Saturday. Um, and hopefully he can kickstart his Tottenham career, and we can really see the best of him because he's he's been he's been brilliant at Watford. He's been brilliant at a poor Everton team. Sorry, Guesty. Um, and, hey. and now we want him to be brilliant at Spurs. So um, hopefully, fingers crossed, that happens. And what what better way to really really get going than by scoring the winner in the North London derby next weekend. Yeah, no, you're spot on. It's exactly that. You wonder where they conjure these moments from. It, it wasn't in keeping with what had come before and it was just so much needed. It really was. He, he's, he's had a rubbish, he's had a rubbish time, let's be honest. He was a £60 million player that scored up to that point one Premier League goal for the club. Um, He'd had injuries, there have been various issues for him and he admitted the other day after they kind of, you could see him on international duty looking quite visibly upset on the bench that, you know, he's had the last five months or so have been really difficult for him with off the field stuff. Um, the, the Brazilian media reported that one of his kind of long time, I don't know how you describe them, advisors, financial persons, agent, kind of all of the above manager, whatever you want to call it. Um, who'd been with him since the very, very early days of his career. He'd lived with him at times, as in Richardson had lived with this chap and his family. So they were that close. They parted ways. And I think that's been a really difficult thing. I think there's, you know, I don't think it was the most um, the, the most friendliest of parting of ways either. Um, and it's just one of those examples of you just don't know what's going on in the background. And then for him to actually say, you know, I'm, it's behind me now, but I still want to talk to a psychologist and really talk through this and the process of it and everything. So he had everyone kind of rooting for him, which is fantastic, as it should be, let's be honest. 
Um, and then to come off the bench, I'll tell you what though, the 10, 15 minutes before he came on, he was down that touchline. He didn't come off the touchline. He was told to warm up and he was clearly said, I'm staying here. And he just kept looking at the bench, looking at the bench. At one point, he kind of made this symbol, almost like the substitution symbol to them. It's like, are you, are you trying to tell Postacoglu to bring you on? Because that's not the way it's going to happen. Um, I don't know. It may have just been anyone else on the bench. Uh, and then eventually got the nod and they came on as like a triple threat, didn't they? Him, Perisic and Brennan Johnson. And it completely changed the game. It did. And I was so, I mean, we're going to talk about the subs and, and when they were made and stuff like that in a bit. But for Richarlison, it was just ideal. He just looked on it from the start. He was like the focal point suddenly, because that's the thing about Sonny. Sonny is fantastic through the centre, but in a different way. With uh, Richarlison, he's going to be up there as more of a, a target man, focal point type. And within a couple of minutes, he'd headed over a Porro cross just over the bar. And then we had that another lovely Perisic delivery and Richarlison heads it home. And although you could see the desire to get the game going again, because there was this feeling within the stadium, if they can get one, they're going to get a second. And obviously it came to pass to be that way. But even with Richarlison, Hoybier grabbed the ball out of the net and they're running back towards the halfway line. And you could just see Richarlison is like, he really is celebrating, but in the most measured way he possibly can as he's going back to the uh, the halfway line. And just after the game, because obviously then provided a really nice run and weighted pass to Kulusevski to, to score that winning goal. And just watching them at the end of the game, Eric Dyer went straight over to him. He's almost banging him on the back, Romero-style, kind of just uh, cele- just congratulating him. And then Fraser Forster was doing similar. Porro went to him. Son went to him. And then, obviously, they had linked arms and went up the pitch and did that celebration um, in front of the fans. And Sonny's pushing Richardson to the front. Had some nice uh, Sonny quotes that went up today, actually, talking about how, you know, they're a family. And when someone's suffering within there, that's they all just want the best for him. And everyone, Kudusevsky after the game was talking about Richardson, just how funny a character he is within the group and how they just all want him to do well and how he is a terrific player. He's just obviously had confidence issues and, and it happens. And Sonny kind of touched on that as, as if that's something that's happened to him last season at points. He had confidence issues for, for probably differing reasons, um, mainly playing in a system that was pretty much nullifying anything good he did. Um, Going backwards 70 metres wasn't his, uh, his quote? Pretty much. Exactly, well, exactly that, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, brilliant for Richarlison. So happy. They tried to, the journalists in the mix zone, including Guesty, tried to stop him after and see if he'd talk. And he just went, oh, soon, soon, because his, his English isn't quite there yet after almost eight years, I think it is in England. <laughs> you know, still, <laughs> still got to do a bit more of the Duolingo lessons. Um, but yeah. You know, fair play to him. What a brilliant end to the week. And uh, yeah, Guesty was very, very happy for him in the press box. You could tell it was he was as happy as Richarlison was. I bet he was. That's yeah. The, yeah, that's probably the happiest I've ever seen Guesty at a, a Spurs goal. To be. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was, was a classic Richarlison goal, really, wasn't it? The movement Absolutely. and just the, the header from a corner is just that's what he was signed for, really. Yeah, I mean, I mean that is one thing that I do wonder whether it's going to start becoming a thing. It's like is he going to score as many with his feet? Because he definitely is so dangerous in the air. And is that pretty much goes against the archetype of a, a Brazilian kind of number nine as well. It's surely yeah, we should see more with his feet, really. Yeah. But that's to come. That's to come. Um, so the game itself, uh, I mean, you touched on it there and, and kind of how much I've got some match stats to throw at you. 70% possession for Spurs. 
535 passes to Sheffield United's 181. This is mad, that. That is just the new Tottenham. It really is that amount yep. of passes. 28 shots at goal to Sheffield United's 7. 10 efforts on target to their 5. And they forced the Blades into 35 clearances, 9 blocks and 8 saves. It's just a different kind of Tottenham Hotspur nowadays, isn't it? It's um, it's strange, actually, you mentioned those because um, it's not if if I can't watch a match, if I can't see a match, if I'm out or this, that, and the other, I'll always have a look at um, the commentary and, and what's going on and see at what if we've had chances, this, that, and the other. I very rarely um, go and look at stats like that for possession and shots and that, but I. I think it's just the way that we're playing now, the way that Andrew's um, changed things. That was one of the first things I did. I was like, are we actually, are we dominating this game? I, um, I think in the first half, we'd, I'd noticed we had 68% possession, um, eight shots and seven of them had been on target at the time when I kind of first had a look um, and almost double the number of passes by that time in the match as well. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's weird that you mentioned those stats because it's, yeah, it's not something that I would normally look at during a game, but because of what Andrew's brought in, uh, I, feel, I feel bad call him by his first I don't I don't know him I should probably call him Poston Cock like I would do any other manager I'd use their surname <laughs> but I just call him Ange this just seems to kind of the kind of family fan atmosphere that he's brought with him I think um, I think that's kind of what he wants from the yeah. fans as well doesn't he he wants that connection um, but yeah it's just what he's brought in and the way he wants to play football has made me um, kind of look for those those little details um, as well and it, it it really is it's a it's a whole change from what we've been used to in the last three or four years, um, and it, and it's it's great to see. It is more more numbers to throw at you as well. So the Spurs have now scored two or more goals in all five of their Premier League games under Postecoglou, and that's something only four other managers in the Premier League have managed in their first five games. He ha- is now unbeaten in fifty home matches across his last three clubs. I think it is. Um, which is just ridiculous. He destroyed the manager of the month curse as well, which was fantastic. Just because, <laughs> well, in the most dramatic of yeah. ways. Um, and it also ends that ridiculous kind of some people saying, yeah, but Nuno did that. And it's like, no, no, <laughs> please don't compare Nuno and Ange Foster Coglu. It just kind of it just makes me kind of shudder if anyone actually does that. Um, Spurs' best start to a league season since 1965 as well um this is and scary. neither of us were born then uh, yeah i was just trying to work it out no it definitely wasn't um no by a long way as well um i'm very unfortunately uh, just just a child of the 70s i got four months of the 70s and uh, honestly it's i'm such an 80s kid as well. <laughs> yeah me too um, i wasn't born with like flares on or anything um but yeah it's just it's, it's just incredible to and incredibly enjoyable um Guesty and I were kind of saying this. We're really relishing going and reporting on games as well. It's not to say we don't enjoy our, especially talking next, uh, with the boss as well. <laughs> but, you know, it's not to say we don't enjoy our job anyway. But going to these games has felt like a job in the last few years, whereas now it feels like a bit of a guilty mix of pleasure as well as your job because you're getting to watch. Let's be honest. Probably with Brighton, the the biggest entertaining side in the Premier League right now. Obviously, Man City are always going to be Man City, but I would say that in terms of full-throttle attacking play, everyone's watching Spurs right now. And I think that's why they're on telly so much. There's so many games coming up where they've been switched to be the TV picks as well. Um, and it's all to do with a certain Postacoglu. I mean, obviously, we're kind of guessing I kind of 
slap bang in the middle there in the press conference and everything. As a, as a fan, what's I mean, kind of what does he represent to fans right now? What what does he kind of we're talking about that connection? Does it feel different in terms of being a fan of Tottenham Hotspur right now to to what it was? Yeah, massively. Um, it it the, because of the the kind of the coaches that have come before in in terms of Conte, Mourinho, um, Nuno, perhaps a little bit different because he was a more um, more quiet character and um, difficult to get stuff out of, as you as you well know. About a week, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> because of the kind of the, the characters that we have had, um, they're 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 the managers that. They, they know how to play the game. Uh, they know how to talk to the media. They know how to play the media. They know how to get their own way um, because they've been doing it for a year and a day. Um, and that, that's not to say that Postacoglu um, hasn't been been doing it for, for as long as them. Um, he's had 20 plus years um, in management, hasn't he? Yeah, he um, keeps on it, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it just, it's it's straight talking you just, you just kind of believe what he says he's not gonna he's not gonna say something for the sake of it um and yes he's come out with some of these lovely sound bites particularly like about his honeymoon before the game um obviously yeah. um so there are little things that are gonna are gonna get him in the media obviously but it it just feels like he he'll, he'll just say it how it is um he won't really care what someone's going to think of what he said he's just going to talk about it he was i thought he was excellent on on mental health when he was talking about richarlison um yeah he just he's just got that that kind of that vibe about him um that you just want to kind of gravitate to him you just want to hang off every word he says um and you want to get drawn into to how he wants to play football and his ideals um and his philosophy and stuff like that and it, it helps that it's an attacking philosophy of course but I ju- yeah, I just feel like the fans are just gravitating towards him um, for all the right reasons, um, and he's, he's got everyone on side. You've spoken about it so many times in different stories that we've written um, over the summer and into the season. This club desperately needed someone to kind of to glue it back together, um, and Ostercock glue it back together. Yeah, exactly that. I didn't even realise I was doing that. There we go. <laughs> um, and they, and he's done that. Um, and it helps that we've won four of the first five games. Um, things could change um, with a few bad results, but I, I don't think so. I think the fans are behind him, and I think I think any level-headed Tottenham fan would have told you at the start of the season this is a kind of this is a get a get to know you season sort of thing. We'll, we'll see where we are at the end of the season, and then be ambitious after that. Um, I, I, I didn't think anyone would have expected to be challenging to top two three I think everyone would have been delighted for fifth place because that's where Champions League comes in this year obviously fifth place would be would be great um anything above and beyond that would just be amazing and the way we've started you wouldn't put it past the club continuing it for the for the rest of the season obviously everyone would love to see it um but yeah (laughs) yes I've I've gone off on a tangent a little bit there um but yeah I never do that (laughs) (laughs) It just, it just, yeah. It feels like he's um, he's brought everyone together, um, and yeah, I'm just looking forward to. I, I look forward to every weekend now. Whereas under Conte, particularly, I didn't wasn't really looking forward. I think I said it on last pod. I was on my my kids were getting turned off by the football and didn't weren't necessarily interested in watching a game other weekend. So um, it's brought them back on side. It's brought everyone back on side. I think. Honestly, I've had so many fans that have kind of contacted me in the last few days uh, on whatever social media platform they're using 
just to say that either they went to the game for the first time or they took someone, a family member or a young one to the game for the first time and just how absolutely now carried away and swept away with Spurs that person who was seeing it for the first time is. And it's just, that's what it's all about. That's what football's about. It's what we all want to see and why we... And I think this is the key thing. I was about to say why we all loved the game in the first place. And that's exactly what Postacoglu is about. That's what he brings. His whole ethos of management is creating a style of football that he and his dad would have wanted to watch on TV back in Australia in the middle of the night. They used to stay up and watch the games, whether it be, I don't know, the the Dutch team in the 1974 World Cup or whether it was English football, the old Leeds United side and things like that, and or, or Liverpool back in the day as well. Um, and Spurs, of course, Spurs back in the day, and, and you know when they were really kind of in their pomp under Bill Nick, and I'm trying to think, he's not old enough for Arthur Rowe. No, he's definitely not. That was, <laughs> he's definitely not old enough for Arthur Rowe. <laughs> Twenty <laughs> years on Andrew's this podcast, absolutely slating him age-wise for that. You'll, you'll get a um, mate next week in the press conference. Oh. I got a few in the last one and a chicken coop. So it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I love his variety of mates. You can tell some of them are meant very friendly and some of them have just got a little edge to them of what a stupid thing to say to <laughs> a mate. Um, but yeah, he, he, he kind of creates this football that is what he would have wanted to watch and what would make his dad proud now. And that naturally as a knock-on effect is exactly what the fans want to see. And you just get this sense and this expression I kept hearing after the game, he just gets it. And that's it. That is exactly it with Postacoglu. He just gets it. And what I hope now is that the fans just get it with him. And like, you know, it is. It's Arsenal and Liverpool coming up next. If, for some reason, they don't get positive results from those two games, I hope that after these two matches, the Spurs fans still go, oh, yeah, yeah, but it's Postacoglu and we're in the right direction. I hope that's the case. I hope there's not the suddenly reaction, silly way that we as media and fans can get uh, with the game nowadays. Um, I do wonder whether it was like that before social media. That's, that's a whole other thing. That's an old man kind of way of looking at it. But yeah, he just gets it. And well, you know, you're talking there about Conte and Mourinho and Conte was constantly giving everyone a reality check, constantly telling the Spurs fans that, yeah, you know, I have to be realistic. You have to be realistic. You know, we can't just, I, I think it's expression. I might even have the quotes here somewhere. Something like, um, "If I want, if if you want me to tell you a lie, I can tell you a lie," and things like that about what Spurs could do. And that was when they started really well at the start of the season. Because um, I look back, I, do you know what? I forgot that they actually started this whole year off with that defeat to Aston Villa at home, two uh, 0 defeat yep. to Aston Villa, and then that was after that game. He was like, don't ask me for things I can't promise you. To give you dreams in a moment, you have to be realistic about the situation you face. We Last season, we made a miracle in finishing fourth. It brings things into perspective, though, doesn't it? That you've got a manager like that saying that, and now you've got Ange Postacoglu, who's got arguably a worse side without Harry Kane in it than, than yeah. Conte had. And he's, he's, he's just proving those, those quotes completely wrong. If you've got a manager who's willing to to look at the players and work with the players he's got and work on his philosophy with them, then you you can make good things happen. Absolutely, absolutely, and it just seems like 
I mean, we kind of felt it at the time when Conte was saying that. To begin with, we were like, okay, okay, that's the narrative you're going down. And I think the more it went on and the football just got worse and worse and worse, the more we just started to kind of bite back a bit and be like, but it happened under Pochettino. They were top four for four years in a row, top three for three of those years, second for one of those years. How is it, you know, how is it a miracle if Spurs were to ever get top four? And, and I get what he was saying about the previous season. It was, you know, they had been a complete mess under Nuno. He did inherit it and he did get them playing some good football as well towards the end of the season. But this idea that for a little old Tottenham, it's such a huge deal. And I, I never really took to that. And I just love the way that Postacoglu went in completely the opposite direction after the game. Rob Daly, um, he does. Um, he's one of the chaps that does the, the kind of match coverage for Spurs. He asked him on Spurs play after the game. And he said, you know, do the fans now have to go the other way? Do they have to temper their expectations? And Postacoglu's answer was just brilliant. It was, no, 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 let them go. Let them go and enjoy it. My role is not to burst people's bubbles. Let them get excited. Let them get ahead of themselves. That's the beauty of being a supporter. They go through enough pain, mate. You want to let them enjoy it. If they think we're going to be world beaters, then great. That's up to us to match their expectations. Our supporters deserve to have some happiness and enjoy it any way they want to. Oh, where has that been for so long? The Spurs fans have suffered. You know, yeah, they haven't suffered to the degrees of some of the teams battling relegation or this, but they've had a lot of frustration. They've had a lot of kind of near misses and they've had a lot of what could have been. Um, and I just felt to have someone come in and just understand that. And also, I love that line about, you know, just essentially, if they think we're going to be world beaters, that's up to us to match that expectation. It's not saying, oh, no, no, be realistic, you lot. You know, to dare is to do. No, 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 don't be silly. <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't dare. We don't do. We just, you know, we be, to dare is to be realistic or something. It's just so, oh, such a nicer way of looking at football. And it's the kind of way that I think we all need to, fans need to dream. You know, even as you were just saying that there about this first season being just one where we get to know Ange and the nice season, I won't lie. Back in my head, I'm thinking, I reckon I could get fifth. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, I think I could get in the Champions League here with with three weeks, no midweek matches, and him being able to train this side every week for the next game. I'm thinking, why not fifth? And that may be me running away with myself, and it's very early days. But what? There's no harm in that. Wouldn't you rather, isn't it better for a fan base to be positive about their team rather than being realistic? Absolutely. Um, we've been realistic for long enough, really. Um, pessimistic more than anything um, for, for, for a number of years. But I, 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 I don't see why we can't finish fifth this season, really, um, from, from what I've seen so far. Um, Man City are... Um, like Thanos, they're inevitable, aren't they? Really? Um, <laughs> He's saying Pep Guardiola just clicks his fingers. Yeah, it's, it feels it feels like that, doesn't it? I um after the um uh, final whistle went um, in the Arsenal game yesterday, I've got an Arsenal um, supporting mate. He messaged me saying, "Oh, title decider next weekend in the North London derby." Then, uh, and I just replied, "Well, second place decider probably." Um, yeah. Can I just there's, point there's... out how great it was to have a conversation about something Marvel related there? Oh, I guess good. he would have just looked at me with utter <laughs> confusion and a little bit of disgust. What are you talking about? Don't know. No, no idea. <clears throat> 
Um, just is he still as we're at the half. Go on. No, go on. I was just going to say, is he still talking about the archers? Um, but there we go. <laughs> strikes me as something that Guesty would listen to. Yeah, Guesty is a man who uh, he um, doesn't do much TV. He doesn't do much movies. He's a man that that lives a, a simple, happy life, just enjoying enjoying the world. Um, Watching Richardson wherever he can. Watching Richardson everywhere he goes. Um, yeah, as we're at the halfway point in the show. I'm going to remind people that the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN, and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world, and that means there's no buffering, there's no lagging, and you can stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. It's something that people will know that I have used for years before Nord came on board to sponsor the show. It's such an incredibly useful kind of service for all your devices, whether it be your phone, your tablets, your laptops, whatever because you can just go abroad and you can set your phone to being or your device back to being home in the UK. And that means you can access all the things that you pay for and should be able to watch wherever you go. But for some daft reason, there are restrictions that stop you doing that when you enter different countries. Um, and it works in other ways. You know, you can access stuff from other countries by setting your location on your device to being there. And also security-wise, it can kind of really help against people that try to those nasty types that try and take stuff off of your devices if you're using let's say a public wi-fi um, and not only that but the outlay on a nord vpn subscription is cheaper for you in the long run um, and that's because you know you could be purchasing streaming services or bookings from another country at a much cheaper rate so for example you could maybe book flights from other countries and that could be much cheaper too than doing it from the uk so it means that you're paying out for nord but you're actually saving money overall there's a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So back to the game. What I was going to say to you about, I was going to ask you, is another contentious point was the refereeing. <laughs> Chef United boss, uh, Bottom said afterwards, he, he had a bit of a rant about the, um, it was a strange rant. It was almost, to paraphrase enormously, we wanted to time waste. That was part of our plan. They didn't let us. They added it on the end. How dare they? I, I didn't get it. And, and do you know what? I really want to give a lot of credit to Sheffield United because I thought they played really well. They were very organized. And you can see how they're going to be a very difficult team, I think, for other sides to break down this season and the way they play. And they've got a threat up front. They've got a threat from long throws and, and free kicks and corners and all kinds of set pieces. But I just felt you, they were almost the kind of architects of their own downfall because it's been quite clear, this change in regulations that we're going to get another 90 minutes played after matches. So, I mean, what did you, what did you think of that? Just, I just, it just seemed a bit odd. Yeah. Very odd. And, um, it's hard not to think of it as sour grapes, isn't it? Sometimes um, when when you've got a manager coming out like that, and he tried to yeah. temper it by saying, "Oh, I was having, I was saying this when it was nil nil, and uh, and this as well." It's I've, the 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 thing that he kind of focused on. It feels like I'm going to go into a bit of a rant of my own here now. Um, the, the the thing that he focused on was, oh, if we if we set up from a goal kick and um, and and Spurs set up to try and um, to try and counteract that then we've got a we've got a uh, kind of plan to to go a different way with our goal kick um okay and then what if Spurs then react to that and then how, how long does this waiting to take a goal kick last because half an hour. Half you, yeah an hour. because you change yeah, the way you right. want to take it and then Spurs 
uh, react and then you change again and then Spurs react again. You could stand there for ages and I, d- I don't understand, really don't understand. But it's just like you said, um, we we want to time waste, um, but you're not allowing us to time waste. Um, and wh- why, why are you adding time on at the end? It doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Um, I, I don't understand it. It's, as you said, Everyone's been told what these rules are going to be like this year. They're clamping down on time wasting. Um, they're going to add on as much as they can for when the ball's out of play, um, when it's not on the pitch. Um, we all want to see more football. Um, it, 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 I can't can't quite remember, but it was getting to the point, wasn't it, where a ninety minute match and the ball was only going to in play for something like sixty something minutes, wasn't it? In in most yeah, Premier League games, so much. Yeah, I think someone said fifty seven at one point. It's like it's ridiculously low. It's crazy. Um, we all want to see football being played. We all want to see goals. Um, and it certainly helps Spurs with two two goals in injury time um, on Saturday. Um, that's what that's why they've put the, these rules in place. You just have to deal with it, essentially. Um, yeah. I, 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 I kind of get his point with the, the, the McBurney red card because we, we don't know what McBurney said. We, we're only going on what um, Heckenbottom has said and what McBurney said afterwards. I only said I was having my shirt pulled. It looked like he said a little bit more than that, to be honest. But um... <laughs> maybe slightly more strongly as well. Yeah, yeah. I'd, the whole—if I was going to have complaints to the referees and the officials—it was kind of yeah. It was more the other decisions. It was maybe that red card. You know, maybe that was harsh. And, and there was a moment when James Madison—he kind of came across because he was. I think it was a ball that should have maybe been a corner and wasn't given as a corner, I think it was. And he came over to the referee and he slumped on the floor with his hands on his head and the referee booked him. I remember seeing your, um, your um, tweet. I was, honestly, people kind of, some of the people replying, oh, no, no, he gave him like a bit of abuse. No, he didn't. He did that after. He did it after he got because he got he looked at it in the referee and it was almost like oh you're mocking me and he like gave him a yellow card and then Madison got up and went like but it's ridiculous blah 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 whatever and then actually fell to his knees again and I'm thinking oh god don't get yourself the first player ever in the history of the game to get two yellow cards for falling on the floor with your hands on your head although maybe someone has when I'm kind of faking an injury I don't know um, but it was just there was some strange and there was the Madison again involved potential penalty claim i personally thought it would have been harsh um had it been given then there was the moment where fodderingham um handled the ball outside his box a lot of people calling for a red card i actually felt the yellow card was right on that one because it was right out in the corner it wasn't it wasn't like he was stopping a kind of a goal scoring opportunity there there would have you know people would have got back it it wasn't quite that kind of thing it's different if you're doing it slap bang in front of your penalty area as the, the attacker's trying to race through um so yeah I, I didn't really have any qualms with that and and i would say you know foddering him himself um yeah, I think he was the architect of a lot of their own problems because of the amount of time it was taking him to take those kicks. And Heckingbottom saying about how, you know, like you said earlier, we were, you know, we've got to see what they're going to do when we take a kick. Yeah, okay. It still doesn't mean you have to stand there and take it. And there was like moments when their players were like doing up their shoelaces and things like that. It's like, oh, come on. Don't try and pass this off as if it isn't an orchestrated thing you do to try and get the game time down. And that's fine. If you do it, just take responsibility for it. That's what you do. But obviously have the knowledge that now the rules are changing, that they're going to add that on the end. And teams will be galvanised when they're 1-0 down against you and they will see 12 minutes come up on the clock. And honestly, the entire stadium went mad at that moment. 
And that almost more than the substitutions just enthused everyone and like it was a bit of adrenaline shot to everyone. So in a way, and look, what happened to Fodderingham afterwards, the racist debate was, was absolutely disgusting. Both clubs have come out, condemned it. It's I still no part of me will ever understand why people want to do that. I do kind of, people kind of put up these excuses about, oh, it's the emotion of it. It's the heat of this. It's blah, blah. No, it's not. No, it's not. If you're going to do that, it's in you to do that. And you just, it's ridiculous. It's disgusting. And it shouldn't happen. Absolutely shouldn't happen. I mean, oh, just, yeah. I could honestly, I could do a whole podcast on how absolutely disgusting that was. But um, can I just play devil's advocate as well in terms of of Sheffield United and what um, Heckenbottom was saying? Um, there's, there's been a lot of talk on um, dis- Spurs discipline so far this season. Uh, and before before Saturday, there was that crazy stat, wasn't there, that um, Mickey van der Ven and Christian Romero hadn't conceded a foul um, in the first four <laughs> games in, in the season, which is just remarkable for Romero particularly. Um, yeah. And you just you do wonder, like Spurs had 11 yellow cards in the first four games of the season. And then there were six against Sheffield United and Sheffield United yeah. had six themselves. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying it's Sheffield United's fault. Um, but it just, I do wonder if there was just that, I wasn't there obviously, if it was that kind of game and it was the way that Sheffield United were playing that kind of brought that out of Spurs a little bit when they've been very disciplined and only had two or three yellow cards in games before that. And then there's suddenly six against Sheffield United. Uh, and then a manager complains, Oh, I don't like this. I don't like that about the referee. That's just me playing devil's advocate. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it didn't feel like that kind of game. It didn't feel like a kind of a niggly kind of game where people were frustrated and, and launching into challenges like that. There was just the odd one that was a little bit late. I mean, the one he also had a bit of a wasn't annoyed was annoyed about was Van der Ven going in on Fodderingham. And I still haven't seen him. that. Yeah, it's. I personally think that he's going for it at the same time, but it is a little bit mistimed um, in terms of. He, I've kind of said it. Said he's going at the same time, and then said he's missed time. It doesn't really make much sense. What I mean is that the intention, I think, is there to try and get the ball before Fodderingham, but just the way he does it isn't as quickly as Fodderingham just collects the ball, and he does kind of catch him. And I wouldn't. I personally didn't think it was a red card kind of moment that they seem to be almost looking for. I think a yellow was fine. I think that was Van der Ven's first yellow card. Uh, sorry, first foul. I think. Um, and Romero did his first foul as well at one point in the game. Romero, Romero is such a changed person. <laughs> there was a moment late in the game when Emerson was about to start a fight with someone um, or just get kind of, he was almost goading. It was right, I think it was after the winner. Um, and he was almost goading the other player because something, I don't know what had happened. Um, and Romero stepped in, grabbed Emerson and took him away. And it was like, sorry, <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> what kind of parallel kind of universe are we in here? Take a look down um, at the team sheet. Is that the same player? Yeah, is he still what? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Honestly, it was incredible. Um, just the, the change in him. He'll still go in for those smash tackles into people, but yeah, isn't fouling them. But he just seems such a more composed character. I mean, he finished the game as the captain. You know, he was wearing that captain's armband when it all was, was over. Um, just a huge change in him. We should also mention Emerson has become a dad. Congratulations to Emerson Real. He uh, popped back to Brazil. Um, his partner had their child. I think it was a little boy. So uh, you would imagine, uh, I don't know, they'll all come over for the uh, to be back in time for the North London derby. 
I'm intrigued to see whether he plays in that or not, yeah. or whether he keeps going with Porro, because that's that's probably something for a, a whole other discussion. But no, great news for Emerson. Um, there seems to be a thing about Spurs players at the moment and children right around big moments. Like James Madison became a dad to twins about a couple of days before they headed off on the tour, which must have been rubbish for his other half, yeah. having to kind of deal with that for two weeks on his own with another little boy they've got as well. Uh, Harry Kane moved and then had another kid about a week later as well. Um, talking to Harry Kane, which I know we don't want to do too much, but it's another aspect. And I don't know whether this is a sad thing or not, or I guess it's a good thing in a way. Nobody's really that fussed. Uh, can you imagine? I mean, you and I, years back, thinking, oh, we're going to lose Harry Kane one day. Oh, no, it's going to happen. Could you have envisaged losing the Probably the best, well, one certainly one of the best players the club's ever had. It's all-time top goal scorer. No one's really that bothered now. I know it's it's crazy, isn't it? It, re- it really is. Yeah. Like for for all the kind of everything that went on um, over the summer, will will he or won't he? Um, and you kind of you could have asked. 99% of fans um and they would have said no we, we don't want him to go we we need, we need him um if we if Spurs are going to be successful we need a Harry Kane in the team and I would have been one of them um he would be amazing in this team we should oh, yeah. stress that yeah as well. of course yeah um but yeah the, the how how the team is playing without that player in there is is just mind-boggling really <laughs> it really is it's you, you kind of you do have to think oh yeah he's, he's not here anymore the kind of yeah as you said probably the best player in, in the club's history is not here for the first time in 10, 12 years, something like that. Is it, was it even that long? Was it 12? I don't, I just, it's, yeah, I think it is. I think it's, it's certainly something like 11 seasons, wasn't yeah. it, he was at the club? Um, yeah. Yeah, the, the, yeah. it's it's just the whole, it's 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 part of the ethos and part of what Postacoglu's brought, as we've, we've already said. Um, everyone's buying into the way he wants to play football and you kind of, Harry's gone. Um and was preparing for it for for weeks, months before he, he knew it was going to happen. So he prepared the team. Um, not that he showed it in the preseason matches with Harry being part of the starting eleven in most of the preseason games, but he he was prepared for it. And you're, you're seeing the work that's been put in on, on the training pitch um, come to fruition because of that. Yeah, and I think it's the old cliche of sometimes when you take a star player out of a team the collective becomes stronger because everyone then shares the load and responsibility. And that has a natural knock-on effect of they feel a bit more valued because what they're doing is, is a greater kind of part of the the whole. And, uh, and it also does help when you've got a player who's like James Madison, who's absolutely incredible, comes in absolutely just desperate to, it almost feels like he's kind of fallen in love with Spurs as well. The way he's gone about it. I know he came out with that quote saying he just, could see himself in a Spurs shirt. Um, I mean, what what have you made of matters so far? <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to say anything more than what's already been said in on social media and um, in the press about him. Um, he's incredible, really, isn't he? I always knew he was... Oh, you've gone dark there. Just went dark for a second there. Yeah, um, it does that for some reason. Uh, he's, yeah, he's he's been a, a revelation, but I think everyone knew um, how good he was. Um, everyone knew that... 
he shouldn't have been in a struggling Leicester team. Um, he, he's better than that. And we, we saw that in the years before um, Leicester, when Leicester weren't struggling, as it were. Um, he just knits everything together. He always wants the ball. He always wants to be involved. Um, he's got that kind of effervescent personality. You can see it in um, the videos that appear on YouTube, the social media bits and pieces that he does. He's, 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 He's arrogant, but in the right way. He knows he's good and he knows what he can do. Confident, um, yeah. yeah, confident. Yeah, that's probably probably a better word than arrogant. Yeah, sorry, I shouldn't say that, James. Um, yeah, he is, he's, he's very confident in his own abilities um, and, and and rightly so. And he kind of, he, he thrives off that. Um, he uses that to his advantage um, to, yeah, to kind of be that leader in the, in the team. Um, you could quite easily see him with, with the armband. Um, as opposed to Sonny, um, and as you, you've talked about Romero, obviously who's who's had the armband on Saturday, but yeah, it's just been a breath of fresh air. If we if he hadn't been there and we'd lost Harry, it might have been a little bit different, I suppose. Um, but it does feel like he's kind of taken on the mantle of, okay, I'll be the main man. Um, I'm, I'm quite happy to be that guy because, yeah, he, he's got that he's got that about him. Yeah, it's the captaincy aspect is so interesting because. After it was announced that Sonny would be captain, the vice captains would be Romero and Madison. I asked a few people, various people that used to be connected with the club, within the club, outside the club, and the general consensus was like, what? It was like a really kind of, well, Sonny's not captain material, even though he was for his country or is for his country. And, you know, oh, Madison's a bit of a lad, you know, that's probably not going he's not going to captain material. And there's Romero, you know, Romero's got a constraint on himself kind of thing. And I just love the fact that it's actually been proved to be a masterstroke on all three of them. Sonny has proved, everyone behind the scenes is just absolutely wowed by what a terrific captain he's been so far. He is not going to be, and he said it himself in the quotes we put out earlier today, he's not going to be the type that is going to deliver these incredible kind of speeches to the dressing room kind of thing. He's going to be someone that leads by example. And also, I think... At a time when everyone was a bit down, everyone was a bit like, ooh, what's going to come next kind of thing. And obviously, like we said earlier, that maybe people might have been a bit worried about what was going to happen with after the Harry Kane era had come to a close. You've got Sonny, someone like Sonny who's just got a smile on his face all the time, who is happy and wants to enjoy himself and enjoy his football. I don't think there's a better embodiment of Postacoglu football than Sonny and the smile on his face. And I think that is now... They're just loving coming into training. They're loving what they're doing. And you look at all of them, they do seem like it feels a bit like the vibes of the early Pochettino years and that they all seem to be mates as well. And like Papa Matasai, he's like the little kid of the group. They're all kind of getting in headlocks and, and mucking around with him. And, and it's just, I think Sonny embodies that perfectly. And he's knitted everyone together. And they all respect him so much. He's so popular. They'll do anything for Sonny. And that's a key thing. And then you say, you know, you've got Madison as well. Madison is at that, Postacoglu said this, he's at the perfect stage of his career where he needs to take on more responsibility. And he's loving being given that at Spurs. And like I said earlier, whipping up the crowd and all this sort of stuff. He feels like he's at this right point. In it. I mean, I love the fact that it's kind of, Spurs fans used to always kind of slightly dislike him because there were the, the Gareth Bale tweets when he was like so young you know he's like a little a teenager wasn't he and some of the things and I think he's just come into the club with the mentality of no 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 no. I'm going to show you what I can be for you I can be not only a player but a real kind of figurehead someone that you can get behind I feel like he's almost like in, in certain ways not always but maybe like the next Gaza 
someone that they can just have in that midfield that is could genuinely be one of the most talented midfielders in the Premier League and is already proving to be, you know, player of the month. We haven't even seen a free kick yet. Like a proper Madison free kick. Exactly. I mean, signing of the season for me, of any club so far, I think, especially with that price tag. And then, like I said earlier with Romero, it's very clever, uh, giving him that responsibility to stop him just in a little moment where he might have gone wild in a tackle or something, just for that moment to think, oh, yeah, I'm one of the captains. I really need to set an example here. It's so clever with each of the three players. And you can see it working within the team setup. And you're seeing Basuma, who Postacoglu has gone up on the first day and just pulled him aside and said, do you know what? Looking at you with these young players and the way you're inspiring them and leading them, do that for the team. Go out there. Be one of the leaders. You're at 27 years old, where he is now. You can go out there and be a leader. You might not be one of the captains, but you're going to be a leader. And then on top of that, you've got Perisic and Hoybier coming off the bench and showing incredible you know, experience at the end of games. Um, I just love this aspect of it. it's a very young team, but there's also a very interesting, new, fresh leadership group around it. Um, oh, I know what I was going to ask you. I don't know how much you saw in the highlights. Brennan Johnson. What did you get to see of his little cameo? Uh, not a lot on the highlights, unfortunately. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more. Um, so, did you see the disallowed goal? I have seen the disallowed goal, yes. Um, did it remind you of anyone? Oh, did it remind you? put me on the spot there. Did it remind me of yeah, anyone? Yeah, um, I, could, I could tell you who I, I think it reminded me of, if you can't think of Yeah, go on. I'll I'll you a, young, a young midfielder used to burst into the box quite a bit. Well, Aaron Lennon, potentially. No, I'd actually say Manor Solomon gives me Aaron Lennon vibes. Okay. He's got that very similar dribbling motion where his hands are slightly up in the air like they're on strings. Um, no, another midfielder who's been in the news recently because of a very brave interview he did. Very brave interview he did. With Gary Neville. Oh, Plays for Everton, but doesn't at the moment. Play for Everton. Listen. No, no, everyone's listening going, no, look at this idiot. He doesn't know what's going on. Rhymes, for with, rhymes with Melly Nally. <laughs> oh, Deli Alley, of course. <laughs> <coughs> I love that. How can I, I imagine forget? how many people were just saying, yeah. say Deli Alley. Why are you not yeah. saying Deli Alley? Yeah, I know. Oh. Everything Sack, about I should be sacked now, shouldn't I? Well, no, we need someone to <laughs> that London. Um, the move itself, Basuma's lovely raking crossfield pass. Brennan Johnson just absolutely picking this wonderful moment to get him behind the defence. Not only that, but the beautiful first touch and then yeah. finish almost in the one move. It felt just very deli like to me. It, it, was, it was very much, um, he kind of he sat foddering him down, didn't he? He just waited. Yeah. Waited until the goalkeeper was on the floor. I was like, I'll put this in the roof of the net now. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was very good. Um, I, did, uh, I will criticise him. He should have been looking along the line better. Um, <laughs> he, should, he shouldn't have yeah. gotten that early. But, um, pace. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what he can bring to the team. It's just another another outlet, really, isn't it? But particularly when, yeah, we've struggled to score a goal against um, against Sheffield United. To have another option to bring off the bench um, is, yeah, it's, it's just brilliant to have that option, really. Um, you've got Richarlison and Brennan Johnson you can bring on. Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, you look at it, you've got Richardson, Johnson, Perisic, Son, Solomon, Kulusevsky, Brian Hill still to come in as well. He's almost back. You've got young Alejo Veliz as well, who is now in training after his um, little injury that uh, kind of stopped him being able to do that. And there are so many options. 
yes, there's not really a natural number nine other than Richarlison has kind of become one. Um, but yeah, there's so many options. I've got high hopes for Johnson. I did predict in the last podcast that he was going to score on his debut. I'm claiming half a point because yeah. he did put the ball in the net, but it was unfortunately offside. But I still remain so excited about what he can bring. Um, late in games, especially with that pace. And I think from the start, he's just a very exciting young player that has got all of the kind of uh, the foundations there that Postacoglu can build upon to make a very, very interesting player. Um, I've got does. on screen here because I, I was looking for the, the yellow card stats, obviously, mm. and just you're looking at the, um, the the age of the squad. Solomon's 24, Kulisevsky's 23, Porro 24, Adogi 20, Saar 21, Van der Ven 22, uh, Emerson Royale's only 24, um, Brennan Johnson yeah. 22, Skip 23, um, it's, it's it's potentially an exciting few years um, ahead for the for the club, really, isn't it? It is, it is, and I mean, you've got the old boys are essentially Sonny, Fraser, Forster, Hugo. Although still to see what involvement Hugo does actually have in terms of match day squads. Obviously, the first chance he had to be on there, and I don't know whether it's it's difficult to read into, but certainly looked like he was away with his family in London for the day, certainly only looking at social media and whether that was he was told maybe, he's, I don't know, whether he's not quite at the stage yet where he's ready to be included at fitness-wise, I don't know. I was going to ask uh, you about him because um, because Andrew was, he was asked about Hugo, uh, the press conference before the game, wasn't he, in, in terms of... Yeah, does, does he, that was me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, the, the way he answered that, and, and I've, I've obviously spoken about Andrew being straight talking and doesn't won't, won't care what's said, it, it did feel like, well, I picked teams based on who I think can play in the game essentially. And that did feel like a, well, he's not, he's not ready. He's not, he can't play in this team in my squad at the minute. Yeah. Yeah, it did. And the only reason I asked about the pecking order as well is because if there ever is any department in a squad, you do have a pecking order. It's the goalkeepers. Yeah, of course, as he said, they can change and they can have poor performances or good performances, but ultimately you know who your first, second and third choice goalkeepers are. And, you know, Vicario is, has been superb. He, he deserves that first choice and, and that's why he was brought in and he fits the Postacoglu football. But I did feel that there was going to be a little battle then between Forster and Lloris uh, for the next however many months. Um, but yeah, it just seems to be the case right now that at the moment he's happy with the status quo um, and we'll see what happens with, with Lloris. But um, yeah, very much he, they're the old boys. I think there are only three over 30. I think that's it. And then I'd I think Dyer is 29. Um, Eric Dyer should point out straight back in. Um, I saw some people saying, had his meeting with Levy, straight back in the team. It's like, no, that's not really how it worked. You know, we kind of, we clarified that in previous podcasts. He wasn't, he didn't go to Levy and say, I want a meeting. He was called in because I think they were trying to get rid of him essentially in those final um, days of the transfer window. So, um, yeah, and also Postacoglu did spring upon us, which hadn't been mentioned at any previous point, that Dyer did have a little injury that meant he missed the last couple of games. So, funny that it was never in the team news, but, you know, yep. managers managers have their uh, have their little ways when it comes to injuries, like Christian Stellini, oh my goodness. Trying to get Christian Stellini. There could be a player walking behind us in the press conference on crutches and Christian Stellini would say everyone's available for the game. <laughs> Honestly, he had no interest. He was a very nice guy, fascinating to interview, especially when you sat down with him properly. But getting any truth about injuries, he was honestly, 
I'm surprised he didn't do conspiracy theory podcasts about you know <laughs> team selections and flying drones over training grounds <laughs> and, and things like this. He was incredibly paranoid about it all. Um, but yeah, yeah, he was good. And actually, we haven't really spoken about the man who scored the winning goal, Dejan Kudelski. How big do you think that will be for him going forward? Well, I, don't, I don't know really because um, he, he scored the. Oh, um... I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> He's, 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 this is his second goal of the season, obviously, um, and uh, I think there were there were lots of question marks after before he scored the first one um, as to oh, what's it going to do for him because he wasn't he's gone through the kind of half season of being amazing when he first joined the club and everyone expecting big things from him and then going off the boil a little bit um, and then perhaps starting this season not quite um, at the kind of the sunny or the Madison um, level. Um, I don't. He's a good player. I'd love Decky. Um, I think he offers something a little bit different. Um, and what happens when Bren Johnson really gets going? I, d- I don't know. Um, I think it would be a shame to see Decky lose his place, but he's got to be strong enough to to hold Brennan Johnson off. Essentially, he's got to keep showing to the manager that he's yeah. He's got to keep showing to the manager that he's worth um, a spot in the team. Um, yeah, I don't, it's difficult. I don't, I don't, I don't think an extra goal is going to do much for him um, in in terms of him, him himself. But as long as he keeps scoring and keeps offering um, offering himself in those positions, then he's only going to he's only going to sh- keep showing the manager that he deserves his place in the team. Yeah, I mean, playing Decky's advocate, um, it's almost advocate. Um, I think just has such a huge moment. For a player who had such a ridiculously consistent start to life at Spurs and then has started to just be a little bit more inconsistent, purely, I think, because of injuries have kind of disrupted his rhythm. I'd hope that it does, yeah, just just kind of remind him of how good he is and, and remind him of what a big part he's got to play for Spurs. And I love the fact that he, well, ahead of the game, it was noted that he'd run more than any other person in the Premier League this season, any other player. Um, and he, from what I understand, was a little bit embarrassed by that. It was like, that's kind of should be a prerequisite for any player. It's like, I really, I should be judged on goals and assists, not how many kilometers I run. Um, and I love that about him. He is a very, he's good fun to interview because he's very, um, I guess that's a Scandinavian way of just being very direct, honest and straight talking. Yep. Um, every time I've kind of ever had to ask him questions, you get a really good, insightful answer. And yeah, I think he'll also be a very introspective person. He'll look at his game and see where he can improve. And we forget that he is, what, 23? It's just incredible how much of a ceiling he could have. Um, I think with him, it's about removing the elements of predictability that sometimes can come into his game, knowing that he might cut in on his left-hand side. I mean, scored with his right, didn't he? I know, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there you go. It's another kind of big element to it is is showing him that, yeah, why not? Use your right, mate. You know, you're just as good at that, pinging across, whether it's a goal, whatever. You don't have to cut in on the left quite as much, although it's understandable why he does it because he has so much success, and that's why Sonny does the same from the left at times. Um, but there, yeah, there have been quite a few occasions where he's got to the byline and used his right foot, and I thought, why? Why don't you? Why do you always yeah. come back on the left? You can clearly use the right. Yeah, hundred percent. He is, he is such a a good player. Such a, um, it's got such a versatile kind of aspect to his game as well. Um, so versatile. Really, really. Yeah, I, I'm a big Decky fan, 
as guest he is for Richarlison, I think I am for uh, for Decky and just uh, I think he'll also be adaptable to play as an attacking midfielder. I think he may even fill in for Madison at times if Madison's out and the Celso's not available. I think he could. He's told me himself in the past he can play as a number ten. He can do so many different roles. So yeah, very excited about him. Right away from the match. There has been another little thing that happened this week is that they've published the minutes of the fans' advisory board meeting, which included a certain Daniel Levy and other members of the board, which, I'll be honest, I think most of us kind of assumed that, all right, okay, with the fans' advisory board, they'll they'll shove up one member of the board maybe each time they have a meeting and a chat. I don't think we expected this full everyone i think every single person was there it was daniel levy it was matthew collicott who's the like the finance guy todd klein who is the chief i think he's commercial officer i can't remember his exact title now um yeah i think it is commercial officer uh donnie donna maria cullen as well who's like an executive director and everything so although this happened i think it was september the 6th maybe we actually got the minutes came out, I think it was on the day of the game. I don't know why I just tried to bury it kind of on the day of a game on their website, but it was actually quite interesting. There's there's a fair bit in there, mainly because we got an idea of, they spoke about how they kind of the focus of the club. There was a manifesto that was released within the club as well. Um, I want to get the exact thing. Daniel Levy outline the key objective to deliver revenues to fund a sustainable, successful football club consistently competing at the top level. What do you, what do you make of that as the club's key objective? I'll repeat it. Just quickly, just give you a bit more time. To deliver revenues to fund a sustainable, successful football club consistently competing at the top level. Delivering revenues being the uh, the operative words right at the very beginning of that sentence there. That's the key. Delivering revenue, which... Um, I think it's a really good... I think it's just the wrong way around. Yeah. If you'd said the first bit at the start, yeah. I think it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But the focus is all, and that's what that's that's what the fans will always pick up on. Um, the focus first is money. Um, that's 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 where it, where it's always been. It's where it's, where it's felt it's always been, um, rather than on on the playing side, which I, I don't always agree with. Um, I've I've I, 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 I'm not on social media as much, and I don't do as much writing um, as you do. So people won't know me um, as as being a Levy. Um, What's the word? Um, uh, I can't say a Levy lover, um, but they, they won't. They, they won't <laughs> no, Levy apologist. Apologist. That's, that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, um, they yeah. won't. They won't know me as being that. But I, I have always been um, one of those people. Um, really, um, in just in terms of what he has done for the club overall. Um, I'm sure I'm going to get loads of people hating me now. Um, uh, <laughs> Um, what what he's done in yes he's done things wrong everyone does it everyone makes mistakes he hasn't he hasn't been perfect but the the way we've built from being a mediocre Premier League side to one that kind of competes at the highest level of the Premier League we don't we don't have a divine right to be in the top four every season you have to work for that and you have to you have to build the infrastructure you have to build the club and you have to build the team um, a bit by bit you can't do everything. Um, Yes, he has, he he has to run it as a business. He has to make money. I've got no, I've got no real issue with that. He's he's running a business. Um, as long as we're always going in the right direction, 
it's a very Harry Kane thing to say, but as long as we're always going in the right direction, I'll I'll always be quite happy. Um, and yes, it's it's not quite worked in the last few years, um, but it feels like he's got it right on on the playing side of things now. Um, he's there's always been money to spend. Managers have always had money to spend. I got, I got annoyed when Pochettino didn't have the money to spend when he wanted to have his complete revolution and, and change everything up. And when he said, we need to start again, essentially. Um, I was annoyed he didn't have the money then, but I could I could kind of understand that there was a ridiculous stadium being built at the time and perhaps there wasn't money to give him to spend. Um I think there are always there are always excuses, um, and I think fans will always look at the excuses a little bit too finitely um, when it comes to Daniel Levy. Um, but yeah, he, he's he's not done everything right. I'm not I'm not going to say that he's done everything right, but um, I, I I have always been an apologist. Um, it's just that yeah, from a fan's point of view, it's that it's the fact that he's put money first. The revenue comes at the start. Of that's and as you said, if you flipped it round and spoken about the revenue after building a team on the pitch that can compete at the highest level. I don't think anyone would have had too much to say. Yeah. Having kind of you and I have spoken about Daniel Levy many times kind of off air and not in these, I wouldn't say I categorise you as a Daniel Levy apologist. I think that's probably sticking you in a category <laughs> that you probably don't really need to be in. I think you're kind of of the same vein as me in that you could definitely see the good things that have been done off the pitch. And I think there's definitely been... Um, I mean... <sighs> Off the pitch, Tottenham Hotspur is a completely different kind of beast and animal than it was, you know, back in the days when we were kind of supporting them when we were young. It's, it's, uh, it's just it's 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 more of a worldwide kind of thing. Um, definitely, I can understand that. However, I do think it's about decision makings at times. Um, I don't think you could argue that in terms of having to compete with the cash rich clubs that are out there now that Levy has positioned Spurs probably financially in the best possible way to try to compete with them you know I know people mock the things oh NFL Formula One oh Gaga's playing at the stadium oh what's next but it's just all part of this thing to try to create revenue for the football club to then plow into the first team and use so I don't. I've never had any issues with those sort of things whatsoever. I think the times when I have had issues, may, maybe, is when decisions have been made that are just a bit daft. Um, and the reason I say that is is sometimes like I mean, it's something. It's no secret. It's what I've said kind of in recent years has been the flip flopping from an identity to another identity. That's where I've had an issue when he's been. He is the main man at the top of this club. He's been very clear this is the Tottenham DNA. We'll play in this way, play in that way. You bring in a managing director of football whose first point of order is to bring in Nuno Espirito Santo. <laughs> I'm sorry. That that just, you know, makes a mess of everything you're trying to say. And and previously before that, you know, you've brought in Jose Mourinho. I can understand the glamour side of Jose Mourinho. Does Jose Mourinho fit the DNA that Daniel Levy's constantly talking about at Tottenham? No. No, he doesn't. And then Antonio Conte, again. So that's three in a row. I think you can understand the idea of why he's gone there to each one or two of them anyway. Maybe yeah, not two, two of them, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can understand why the decision has been made, but you've also got to understand that as a leader, I guess, you've got to stick to this overall ethos of what you're trying to create. And, and there's also going to be an idea of every time it's gone particularly right, has it gone particularly right because he wasn't able to get his first choices? You know, Pochettino's come in and they wanted Van Hull. 
first. And there was De Boer was a big candidate as well back then. And then they eventually went for Pochettino. And right now, Nagelsmann, Slot, all of these, and they've come round to Postacoglu, and it's like, oh yeah, who's actually the best one to begin with? <laughs> like, that's kind of where my qualm yeah. about it is. And some around him may well say, well, he's been let down by football types around him have advised him badly. That may be the case, I don't know. But I do think there's always going to be this kind of sense of him with the financial kind of thing first. And I think when you see statements like that, it's to deliver revenues to fund a successful football club consistently competing at the top level. If that had been turned the other way around, it was to deliver a, to deliver a successful football club constantly competing at the top level through revenues that we will find and fund it. That's a totally different sentence. Yeah. But it's not in a weird way. But- uh, and I think that's always the case with him. I think people see it as a, a money thing with him and they'll see it as bigger players that they maybe could have gone for and then went for, as they'd say, maybe cheaper options, things like that. But the reason I kind of am moving it onto transfers is because in that meeting, we got exact figures for total transfer spend, which was a complete, was a surprise, to be honest with you, especially when you hear them, because you'll wonder, why? <laughs> Where does that come from? But apparently, since the stadium opened in 2018-19 season, Spurs have spent Eight hundred and forty-seven thousand. Wait a minute. Yeah, eight hundred forty-seven thousand. No, eight hundred forty-seven million four hundred forty-two thousand one hundred forty-five pounds. We got that was difficult. <laughs> My goodness! When you see nine numbers in front of you, you're kind of forgetting what goes where and what's what. Eight hundred um, billion. Yeah, exactly. One billion dollars. <laughs> eight hundred forty-seven million pounds with a net spend of almost six hundred six million pounds which is mad when you think about it. And then kind of even zeroing in, this campaign alone, the figures that Matthew Collicott, the finance chap, put out in the meeting said that they've spent 250, or almost £254 million just net, this summer. Net. Uh, net is because you got 95.4 back. Obviously, presumably, most of that is up front cane stuff. Um the net is 158.4 million. It's one of those where it's a hefty sum and it's a lot more than a lot of clubs would spend, but then you've got mad clubs like Chelsea that will skew that entirely. Or Chelsea will spend that on one player. And the, I think the key thing is getting it right, isn't it? You, you, yeah. spend, oh, you spend £40 million pounds on James Madison, it's money well spent and it's, it's not a lot of money. You spend £100 million pounds on a player that doesn't work. Yeah. It's, it all comes down to how they're on the pitch, really, isn't it? That's it. That's it. When you look at that eight hundred forty-seven million pounds that they've spent since two thousand eighteen, you know you've got sixty or so on Tongi in there, um, and you've got various other players that haven't worked out and players that aren't even there anymore. And who knows? Lacelso may come good eventually, but he is also one that's around sixty when you add it all together, the loans and the um, and the permanent side of it. Um, so the money's been spent, but I think you're absolutely spot on. It's about who they spend it on getting the right ones. I mean, the best example the other day, wasn't it, was Brighton against Man U. And like Ten Hag was talking about clubs spending money and they were like, uh, have you seen the total value of the, <laughs> the Brighton team when they yeah. were, you know, how much they were spent on? And it's like that there's a way to do it and there's a way to do it right. And that's what Spurs claim that they're improving is the recruitment side of things. We've got Scott Munn coming in as the chief football officer. Uh, at the end of this month, we've got a director of football swiftly following them as well. If they can get that right, 
maybe on reflection that makes everyone above them look even better as well. So, no, um, no one knows what happens behind the scenes. You've, you've, you've clearly got some fans who will believe that Daniel Levy has his finger in everything and knows everything that's going on at the club and is responsible for every single transfer when, let's be honest, that's probably not entirely accurate. Um, and that he's got other people. have to prove them all. Yeah, yeah. But he, yeah. As, as you mentioned there, he'll probably have people that will be advising him on on transfers yeah. and saying we should approve this and he'll go and approve it and then they don't work out and yeah I, you, you can blame you can blame him for a lot of things but I think you could admonish him from blame from a lot of things as well really yeah I mean, and, and, and he'll, he'll argue that statement that he's made we have to make money to build a team that's and that's that's his argument essentially that's I've written it that way because we can't build a team without money yeah, absolutely. And it's minute and it's minutes of a meeting and it may have been yeah. not quite exactly how he said it anyway. I think it's the same with anything in life, especially in football. You get an extreme view on one side, extreme extreme view on the other. Truth's normally somewhere in the middle, yeah. isn't yeah. it? That's normally where it is. He's he he'll have made mistakes. He'll you'd imagine privately he'll admit he's made mistakes, but he's also done some good stuff as well. And uh it'd just be interesting to see, I think, how long he's at the club. In, in kind of going forward because in this they do it also explain about the makeup of the how kind of who owns the club and it's explained as two holding family trusts the lewis family beneficiaries own 70.12 percent um of this 86.58 percent and levy family beneficiaries are 29.88 percent and then the other 13.42 percent is uh, about 30,000 individuals own shares in Spurs. I didn't realize it was that many. Wow. But but just the Levy side there, so that's 30% of that 86.58%. It's not quite as easy of people just saying Levy out. No. Because it's like, he, it's technically, yes, I guess he could step down as chairman, but he owns a massive chunk of the club, he and his family. So, yeah, there's more to it. There's more to it. I absolutely understand some of the... F- well thought out and explained frustrations that people have about him. I don't go for the aggressive, over the top, no. silly kind of jibes that are out there and, and things like that. I, I definitely will always listen to people that have a very well reasoned argument about it. Um, like I say, mistakes made, but also some good things as well. Um, Absolutely. I, I, I just I'm, I'm kind of of the view the grass isn't always greener. So who who knows what what comes in next when he when he does step down or when when the club does get sold? <laughs> who knows what happens yeah. next? We're we're on we're on a pretty stable footing um, at the minute, all, all told. Um, and yeah, things haven't been great the last few years. But on on in, in terms of the football club as a whole, we're we're one of the the top six clubs in the country. Um, just, just, yeah. just, just saying. <laughs> yeah, but I, to play to play Levy's advocate, or no, it's not actually. It's it's no. more for those against him. One trophy in twenty three yes. years, yeah. isn't good enough. It isn't good enough, and that's true. Even when you've got the financial might of the clubs now, there's always been someone that's been a superpower in the Premier League. Whether it was Man U before all the money really came in, and you know. Later on, man, uh, sorry, Liverpool and City kind of battling it out together for it. There's a lot of trophies out there still yep. to win and things like that. And you know, and he will maybe claim that, well, it, it wasn't me that lost in the final <laughs> of this competition or that final or the semi-final or that. But still, 
I would hope that he doesn't want his legacy to be one Carabao Cup. Or no, whatever, exactly. Carling Cup yep. in his entire tenure. Um, I should say, so yeah, anyone, uh, anyone who's not watching on video, um, at Wilmot's Way on Twitter, if you want to have a go at me for being um, a media apologist, go on. That. Go on, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. It's fine. <laughs> Some leave. So this is the thing. This is what I mean. Some there's there's different kind of variations on the people that are very much against Daniel Levy. There are some that have got really interesting, well-considered views on it, and they're really worth listening to, uh, as well as people who will argue completely opposite. But there are some that are just so aggressive and unpleasant, and they undo all of the other stuff that those people are saying. And it's such a a shame because it's always important to have kind of discussions about stuff and and discourse and, and have a real healthy look at both sides of any argument. But you've got to make sure you do it in the right way, otherwise you just lose people within a moment. I've, I've said this before to my my son's um, sixteen now, but um, in the last couple of years, when things weren't going particularly well, I was like, "Oh, leaving needs to go. We've got to get rid. I don't like him." Blah blah. blah. I was like, "Okay, why? What, what, what's? Give, give me an argument. Give me a reason why, and then we'll have a discussion about. It. You can't just be. You can't just have this." millennial um, view on things of I've got this opinion and that's that's it you've got to have a reason for it and then then I'll, I'll listen we'll have a proper proper discussion about it um but yes yeah, so many people are like oh get him out he's, he's, he's with one nothing is that your whole argument <laughs> yeah and I mean I don't think it's helped that he's overseen a club that's had so much drama constantly <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you know it's just Tottenham isn't it but yeah but it just feels like in recent years it's been crazy and like you know I, I got moaned at for um, calling them a soap opera at times. And it's like, oh, they yeah. are. I mean, even Saturday, for example, sat behind us in the press box, Fabio Pratici. <laughs> he's sat up there and you're like, why? Why is, I know he's in a consultancy role doing some stuff for the club, but come on, don't have him there in plain sight taking selfies with fans. And he was at one of the away games. I think it was maybe Brentford taking a photo with a group of fans. And then you've got Scott Munn, who, you know, is officially hasn't started yet. And he's there in the director's box in the photos <laughs> next to Daniel Levy. And to be fair, I've not, I've got no real issue with the Scott Munn stuff. Because to me, to me, Scott Munn is about to start a job. He's got to be there in some capacity yep. to kind of start soaking it all up and understanding what he's going to do. I don't really have an issue with that. But Fabio Paratici is a different case. Fabio yep. Paratici is banned globally yep from a lot of football activities. It was walked back a little bit by FIFA to allow him to do consultancy stuff. But I'm not entirely sure he should be sat there behind the press <laughs> box taking selfies with fans. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that, that's one that's one thing among probably many that I won't apologise for, for leaving for, really. <laughs> <laughs> Stop saying apologise. <laughs> You're not a Levy apologist as well. I think you've tagged yourself. Yeah, I know, yeah. It's not the greatest sounding term and it's not really true. No. You're just... Um, you see both sides of the argument. Yeah. I think it's yeah. the best way to say it. Yeah. So there you go. God, I guess he's going to come back and like, what? Where did that podcast go? <laughs> went down a right rabbit hole. I know. That's, um, that went on a bit too much, didn't it? Didn't it? Wasn't it expecting did. that. We were only going to do an hour's podcast. We've had another 25 minutes on that. And podcast. we haven't even spoken about the North London Derby either this weekend. So um, we'll, well have to do that later in the week. Yes. I think, you know, the plan was maybe to do a little pre- kind of a, a preview podcast, just a, not an hour and a half, <laughs> but just a smaller one looking ahead to the game, uh, which hopefully we'll try to do on Thursday um, and get that done a little bit earlier because we're, we're a bit wary that we kind of chucked out the one last week, literally like the afternoon before the game. Uh, and it didn't give it enough time, I think, for people to kind of soak up and get ready for the game. And not that we affected the game in any way, shape or form. But yeah, 
Was it press conference on Friday? Yes, there's a press conference on Friday. Uh, So we'll try our best to to do it on Thursday, looking ahead to the... It's a rather big game. I still feel it might have come slightly too early for this young Tottenham side in its formative stage. But, oh my goodness, if they went there and did something. It's one of my most hated fixtures. I hate it. I never enjoy going there. The press box got a load of fans that stand up in front of you most of the match. And just generally, Spurs are awful there most of the time. But uh, I'd love going to that. Love, love the anticipation, and then generally hate the ninety minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. I don't mind the home games as much. The home Northern dubs are fine. It's just going there, and especially right now, from what I understand, I've got a few mates that support Arsenal, and they say the atmosphere at the Emirates at the moment is the best it's ever been. Yeah. That actually they've properly got it going there now. Um, but yeah, it's the same at Spurs. You know, it feels like there's something building there as well, and that's the way to look at it. So, right, we're going to head off now. Thank you very much, Mr. Wilmot, for filling in for Rob Guest, who uh, will be back. I think it'll probably be you again next week as yep. we dive into the North London derby and, and hopefully a nice positive one. <laughs> hopefully um, I'm not just giving you one-word answers after a depressing result on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. That that would, um, No one wants to hear me constantly talking forever. Um, yeah, hopefully I'm sure there's plenty of people that want to hear you talking forever. No, I've heard, I've heard about the, uh, the signings that you have to do when you go on tour. Sorry, you sound like making, <laughs> making moves. You sound like an Alistair apologist. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we should probably end. <laughs> yes, I think we should. Right. Uh, so, yes, we're going to head off and hopefully we'll be back Thursday with a little kind of North London Derby special, looking ahead to that and what to expect, what's come in the past and, and hopefully a very different kind of performance to the ones that we've previously seen in that game. Because let's be honest, they've gone there and tried to shut up shop and it hasn't worked. So why not? Postacoglu doesn't do that way, so let's try it a different way and see what happens. Could be 10-9 or 9-10, technically. That would be better. That could be great. So, all right, we're going to head off now, and, and thank you for listening. And just to end on the note that to grab a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash goldguest. You can receive an extra four months for free, and there's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. The link for anyone interested is in the episode description box with this podcast.